From the trails to the road to the track, if it's running, you'll find it right here on Trail Tales ARP. Run wild. Hello, everybody, and welcome to season four, episode 23 of Trail Tales ARP. I am your host, Sean Sobon, and today I have another wonderful guest. Her name is Shannon Mick, and Shannon comes to us from Pennsylvania in a wonderful town called Zelenopoli, and I probably butchered that, so she'll correct me after I'm done this. But Shannon is an ultra runner, and she also has an extensive background in dealing with mental health. She's a national certified counselor. She's a certified clinical anxiety treatment professional. She's a certified clinical telemental health professional, and she's a licensed professional counselor. Uh, Shannon holds the FKT um, at the Gerald Hiking Trail in Pennsylvania of 32.92 miles or 52.672 kilometers for my Canadian friends and with a wicked elevation gain of 5,591 feet and a great time of eight hours, 15 minutes and two seconds. And that was the women's unsupported run category. Shannon, how much did that suck? Welcome to the show. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm glad that we kind of kind of connected on LinkedIn and, uh, you know, we touched base and it's been a while waiting to get you on the show, but here we are. And uh, I have to ask you, did I butcher the name? Zelenopoli, how do you say it? Zelenopoli. Zelenopoli. I wasn't even close. Yeah. yeah. So before we, uh, you know, have talked on the air here, I had mentioned that, you know, on my family vacations on to Florida, we always stop there uh, for our first gas tank fill up. And it's exit 99. We get off there and then we carry on our way. So I've been right in your backyard. Yeah, I double checked the exit because I never pay attention. It's 88. It's 88. I think so. I don't, I just remember 99 because I just associate it with Wayne Gretzky and that's how I remembered it. But maybe it is 88. I don't know. Maybe it's Eric Lindros. I don't know if you're familiar with oh. hockey players. <laughs> so Shannon, let's, let's get into our conversation. So, you know, I've, I've had a great week of um, discussing mental health and running um, and how the two things kind of work together. And you're, um, my third guest this week um, to be able to talk to that. So I love how I've been able to kind of string all these guests together. I didn't plan it this way. It's just the way it happened. So um, I think it's pretty awesome. And especially with things like lockdown and even just prevalence of, you know, people having anxiety and, and whatever other mental health issues are out there. Um, it's a great way to kind of raise awareness for this and let people know they're not alone necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, we all deal with it. If you're a human being, you deal with it at some point in your life. Um, so where, where would you like to start this conversation? I'm going to, I'm going to leave this one up to you. We'll do something a little bit different today. Okay. Um, I kind of feel like if we start with talking about running, it'll lead into mental health. Sounds good. Cause they always say running is cheaper than therapy, right? So, uh, let me ask you, um, how long ago did you start running? Um, so I think I got serious about it around 2012. Okay. That's actually the same time I started running as well, kind of getting serious about it as well. And uh, why did you start? Did you have a specific reason or did it just kind of happen? Uh, it was kind of my, my husband got me into it. Okay. So, so your husband's a runner, I take it? Yeah. He's also an ultra marathon runner. 
Oh, wonderful. Okay. Um, and that was, that was actually my next question with the ultra running. Um, how long did it take you to kind of do your first ultra or even kind of get into it? I guess your husband introduced you to it, but how did that journey happen for yourself? So actually he wasn't an ultra runner until I already did my first ultra. Oh, wow. So you did it first. Yeah, I did it first. Okay. And how did that happen? How did, what made you decide I'm going to go run an ultra? Um, I found out about ultra running in maybe it's 2014 or 2015. Um, I came home one day from graduate school and I watched a documentary um, and just happened to be Badwater 135. Okay. And so that was my introduction. I was like, what is this? And I watched it and I must, I was just probably having some sort of rough day. And I almost cried watching it. And then right then and there, I decided that's what I'm going to go do. Wow. So what was it about the documentary that, that brought those strong emotions for it? Was it, was it just like you were having a bad day and then something in this video brought on the tears or was there something specific? Can you narrow it down? Um, I think, I mean, and we hear this all the time as, you know, as runners, like it, it's inspiring things and watching people do something really hard. And the fact that, you know, you see these runners running through Death Valley and um, in the extreme heat, which, you know, it's it's not recommended, but they're extremely fit and talented people. Um, and they they all, you know, have the the same lives and, you know, similar backgrounds to like the rest of us, you know, they're people. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing them doing these great things and you're just kind of like, oh wow, I wanna I wanna try that. I don't know why I wanna try that, but I wanna try that. <laughs> Yeah, I no, I totally hear you. Um for me, I think when I think about those tasks, you know, like running an ultra or even something in an extreme uh environment, um, like running in Death Valley, it's I think the initial thought for me is kind of fear and think I could never do this. But once I think that's like now I gotta try. Mm -hmm. I have to at least try and see if I can do it. And I I mean I haven't done anything like that. But it looks like I might have at least uh two ultras this year in support of my friends that might be might be happening in the spring or early summer so we'll see how that goes um but yeah it's just one of those things so did you run the bad water then is that was that your first run your first ultra no um so i still don't even qualify to apply to bad water 135 but um bad water cape fear was actually my second 50 miler okay my second ultra so it was a bad water race and i've done three of those oh wow okay um and let's talk a little bit um while we're on running still is your your fkt so you did that in september of 2020 mm -hmm. and it was completely unsupported um what was that like for you again what what inspired you to kind of take on that challenge how did you prepare for it and you know what were the ups and downs for yourself? Well, I, it all started actually with Oil Creek 100. 
which is a 100 miler that I've been trying to attempt for the last few years. Okay. And I just, I get really tuckered out, um, you know, when I, when I get past 100 K and usually it's like weather elements and just need caffeine and things like that, that come together. And I slow down and I, I basically just miss cutoff times. So um, I've trained a lot on that course and um, that Gerard hiking trail loop. So you do for Oil Creek 100, you do that loop uh, three times. And then there's a seven mile loop. Um, that's also part of that to, you know, finish up the 100 mile distance. Um, so the FKT was basically that loop, um, with a little bit, you know, further out, it was the entire Gerard hiking trail instead of just part of that course. Um, so I, I had already had a lot of training and experience on that, um, the Gerard hiking trail, at least the majority of it. And I knew pretty much what to expect and the demand it would take on my body. Um, as far as, you know, like navigating, I think that was, um, that was kind of an issue. I could have maybe shaved off eight, eight minutes or so from mm -hmm. my time. Um, if I knew exactly what I was doing as far as that course went for the FKT. Okay. Yeah. I guess, you know, navigation can be something that, that can be a little bit tricky, especially, um, if you're by yourself and you don't have any, you know, aid stations or anybody that's marked, marked out the trail for you. So that can be a little bit hard. Um, but beyond that, um, did you prepare ahead of time? Like, did you have drop bags for yourself along the trail? Or did you just carry everything you needed with you from start to finish? I carried everything. My pack was so heavy. Oh my and goodness. I told myself, if I keep up with my hydration and just food intake, then it'll get lighter <laughs> as I went. Yeah. So, yeah. That, that is a beautiful trail. I saw the video that you had made for that. And yeah, it's just such a lush, beautiful trail out there. And, um, you know, you must've had a great time, you know, if you can separate physical suffering that was inevitable during that time. But I think it, it probably also helped you because like you said, you were quite familiar with the majority of that trail. So there is at least that comfort level there, having had experience run there in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Was that your first um, FKT attempt to date? And do you have any other ones planned in the future? That was my first one. And I had um, at least two, maybe three other ones planned, um, you know, throughout the fall. But unfortunately, when I was racing in September 2020 at Laurel Highlands Ultra, I got injured. Oh, um, dear. Okay. Yeah, so I I rolled my ankle and I'm actually just now kind of getting recovered from it and upping my mileage for the second time. Okay. You know, the injury ended up flaring up. So of course my FKT plans all got um just canceled. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Those rolled ankles are so painful. I've had one before and I was I was on the ground and I just had to wait for that wave of pain to go over me. And 
you know, you get sweaty and pale. At least I do. Anyways, it was, it was not fun, but, uh, thankfully when I rolled my ankle, it wasn't even running. I was doing martial arts actually. And, uh, I was able to finish off the class. Like once that initial pain went away, I didn't have any major swelling or anything. So I really dodged a bullet there, but you know, sometimes when you roll it and even if there's no fracture, it's almost worse because you just have all the stretching and tearing of all the ligaments and tendons and connective tissue in the area. Just, it's not a fun time. That's for sure. Yeah, no, I, I know that when it happened, like I can still practically hear it happening in my head. It's kind of traumatizing how it just, and it's so quick too. And there's like, I, I knew it was going to happen as soon as, you know, there, you know, there's nothing I could do about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, when, when that happened, were you done from the race at that point? Like you were just. So no, um, going into Laurel Highlands, that was kind of like my one and done race just because it's such a difficult race. Okay. So I had the mindset, I was going to finish the stupid thing. <laughs> um, I rolled my ankle around mile seven, running downhill, like pretty fast. Okay. And um, after I did that, you know, usually when I roll an ankle, I just keep going. Like, yeah. you know, you just pick right back up. Um, well, it within the next um, mile or two, it, it had rolled another two times and it, just became a really bad hobble. And um, I actually, you know, I think it was the second or third time it happened. It hurt so bad that I, I like was pretty much just holding back tears and I had to jump on one leg to a fallen tree and sit down. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I was shaking so bad. My husband was my crew and, um, I, I called him on the phone and like, yeah, I'm this many miles away from the first, you know, aid station. Um, you might need to meet me there. And I don't know, I might be done. So, but I got to that first aid station and of course, you know, other ultra runners are like, oh, you can do it. If the bone's not showing, keep going. <laughs> you know, that And that was literally, I'm like, Oh, you're right. So they um, taped ice to my ankle. And basically, it was just like, yeah, you can, you can keep going. They were, they were pretty awesome. And they also helped tie my shoes better to, you know, for more stability. Wow, looks like those people got you through it. I gotta say, you are tough as nails to be able to go through that and, and carry on. You know, a lot of people would have just said, I'm done. I can't do this. But uh, you got that warrior spirit, I think. Well, yeah. Well, then I made it to the sad thing is I made it to mile like 56 or 57. And um, I missed the cutoff time, of course, because that's kind of like what happens to me. Sure, sure. <laughs> I was cold. Um, like I was just so exhausted though from paying attention to my ankle all day and trying to not roll it. Um, and it was so easy to roll. I think I counted at, at least 12 or something times that it had rolled after oh. the initial three. Oh, wow. Did you, uh, what, once that was all done, Shannon, did you end up, uh, going to get any imaging on the ankle to see what kind of damage had been done or did you just kind of just, eh, I'll deal with it and hopefully it'll get better. 
Yeah, this the second part. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And and how is it feeling today? Like you said, it's starting to mend, you're starting to increase your mileage. Do you still have residual pain? Like, does it feel strong? Um, there's still some weakness remaining, but it's it's much better now. Um you know how if you mess up one part of your body, you can tell that it's not equal to the other. Yeah. So yeah, I can tell my left ankle is not the same as my right one. Okay. And yeah. you know, you may have heard of the kinetic chain, right? Where everything's kind of attached and moves together. Have you noticed since this ankle's not quite right? Have you noticed any pains or any changes in other parts of your body because of that or no? No, I haven't noticed any difference, um, any changes, and I'm pretty well in tune with my body. And I've been running on the treadmill a lot, okay, um, just because we've had a lot of ice. Um, so yeah, and I'm I'm like really mindful on the treadmill of what my my form is. I haven't noticed anything except for like my ankle will foot fatigue you know, a little bit sooner. Okay. Well, you know what, you keep up the training you're doing now. And I think it's, it's probably wise to be on the treadmill, especially with the ice, like you had mentioned. So strengthen that sucker up. And then as spring is just around the corner, my mother-in-law keeps reminding me, I think we're at 31 days now till the first day of spring. And, you know, I know it'll snow two weeks after that date, but it's a mental victory just to know that you're in the springtime on the calendar. So hopefully you get some good outdoor running when the weather turns and gets better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah, I have that spring countdown too. So. Yeah, I think I think everybody's doing it right now. But the funny thing is, is, and I can't believe I'm going to say this. Like, I do love running in winter. It is my actual favorite season to run in. But I mean, I'm always happy for spring and thoughts of summertime. But I'm not ready for winter to leave yet. And I think a big part of that is because I'm I'm doing a lot of running with my dog Piper, and she absolutely loves the snow and loves the winter time and. I don't know. We're just having such a good season that I don't, I almost don't want it to end, but uh, I know all good things must come to an end. We'll be back to another winter, but mind you, we got dumped with a foot of snow the other day and uh, that wasn't fun to shovel my driveway first thing in the morning. So that I can do without, but let me ask you, Shannon, um, beyond the ankle injury and, and being, you know, showing that grit and determination that you did to finish off the race. Unfortunately, you know, not me to cut off time, but, at that point, that's really doesn't matter considering you ran that much farther, almost 50 miles on that bad ankle. Do you have um, any other moments during any run, whether it's training or a race or even, you know, a treadmill run that really kind of sticks out in your mind for you? I have so many, you know, like just little stories here and there um, that are favorites. And, you know, some of them are just talking with and connecting to other trail runners, um, at races, like, especially my very first ultra, which was JFK 50 miler. And, um, you know, it was the very start of the race while we were, uh, making our way to the Appalachian trail on some road and, um, you know, was just kind of getting some encouragement from uh, veteran runners, you know, in particular about that race and how everyone's so supportive and, um, you know, them telling me that it would be life-changing finishing, you know, your first ultra marathon. And they were right. Um, 
And I will, I will never forget what it felt like crossing that finish line. Um, so like we had really good race weather up until the last maybe seven miles or so. And, um, you know, I was still feeling pretty good besides just like really tight muscles. And, you know, of course, like the, that achy pain you get in pretty much every part of your body. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and I was coming into one of the aid stations and, uh, you know, all the volunteers, spectators were telling everybody, Hey, you better put on something warm. Um, because there's actually a big storm coming in and it, it's got like freezing rain. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, luckily I had uh, a jacket or two and I put those on and, um, they were right. Like literally like five minutes after leaving that aid station, it started raining and it was so cold that I had a little bit of like frostbite on my wrist where my, you know, I have to, I wanted my running watch out so I could see it. Sure. Um, so my skin was exposed a little bit right there. Yeah. Well, that doesn't sound like a, like a fun time to be in, but uh, again, you, you persevered and, and, and suffered through it. Right. And I think that's, that's one of the great things about, you know, ultra running, especially, but even any kind of running, depending on, on the individual is that you're doing something that is challenging you and you, you have these ups, you have these downs, you have these pitfalls, but you somehow find a way to persevere and, and get the task done. And you may not meet, you know, certain objectives you had for that run or for that race, but you finish it, or at least you, you left everything out on there, whether or not, you know, you meet a cutoff time or you get the goal time that you wanted. Um, if you give it your all, you really can't be disappointed in yourself because you know, you did everything you could and you have to be satisfied with that. And then you just kind of keep on going, right. And, and, try again and try again. It it really kind of relates um, to life in general, whether it's relationships or work or or mental health or anything like that, right? Um, It's just one of those things that that really does provide a lot of character building, I think, with running and ultra running. And, you know, now that we're kind of transitioning into mental health here, I wanted to ask you, you've got a lot of certifications. I don't even know how you find time to run with all the, the schooling you've done and, and, and your work workload. But how long have you been working in mental health now? Uh, I think I had my first mental health job around 2010. Okay. And what, what um, attracted you to that line of work, to that field? Um, well, it's kind of a funny story because I was somewhat forced into it. I originally wanted to be an engineer. Okay. When I was in school for that, um, you know, one of my math teachers who I actually knew outside of, you know, the classroom, he told me, you know, you're not very good at math because (laughs) I was after class every day getting tutored and I was not getting any better at it. So he's like, why don't you pick a different major? I'm like, oh, well, crap. What am, what am I going to do? Um, and I'm like, psychology. <laughs> <laughs> but and, that, I, and that's how it happened then? That's pretty much how it happened. Um, but I mean, it, it works out because I am, you know, pretty good at helping people 
uh, you know, figure out their issues. And I was one of, you know, like people would come to me with their problems, like all my friends and things like that, like pretty much my entire life. And, you know, it just, it made sense to me. Hey, Trail Tailors. If you have a running story that you'd like to share with our tribe, please reach out to me. You can email me at trailtalesarp at gmail.com or go to our website, trailtalesarp.com and fill out a guest intake form. And if you're the type of person that's a little bit on the shy side, just send me an email or a message and I'll read it on the show for you. That's not a problem. Love to hear from you guys. Run wild. So I've been on your blog and you know what, I, I failed to mention it in your, in your bio, but you're the, the creator of um, Be Short Run Ultra. It's, um, it's your blog website. You've got a lot of great information on there, um, talking about mental health, talking about your running, um, all sorts of things. Uh, it's a great site. Check it out. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but I wanted to ask you now, um, how do you find that running or ultra running kind of kind of gels together with mental health? How does it help us? You know, like where, what's your perspective on that? There are literally so many benefits. Um, you know, just looking at anxiety and without getting too sciencey, you know, some anxiety comes from our amygdala and the act of running will calm down the amygdala because that's answering to fight or flight. So, you know, it running, ultra running, it calms down anxiety. Um, and it also teaches us, you know, a lot of times we're anxious about overcoming something, um, obstacles or, or, you know, solving a problem. Like, will I be able to handle this? Well, Running and ultra running kind of helps build us up, makes us more resilient to that anxiety, because like you said, we're constantly overcoming something if we're, you know, going out there and trying really hard things. Okay. And, you know, that makes sense. And I know you don't want to get too sciencey on it, but I guess, you know, it does help you on a physiologic level as well. Like, like you said, it calms down, I guess, all the... The neurons that are firing in that part of the brain and I guess just exhaust your capability to even give a damn anymore at that point, right? Because you've put all that energy um, into your run, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it's a nice reprieve from that for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also looking at depression, just, you know, to help um, fight off depression, being active every day getting outdoors, getting sunlight, fresh air, um, waking up your senses. So for example, if we're going out right now and running in the cold weather, we're waking up our senses with the, the cold air and breathing it in. Um, it's just very intense. Um, you know, waking up senses also helps with anxiety as well. So mm -hmm. You know, that's just an example, but trail running, um, I, you know, we're also waking up our senses with that too. And we have to be very aware of what's going on on the trail. Yeah, th those are some very good points. I think um, I found that running throughout the wintertime, especially running out of doors, really helps 
for myself and it was combat those winter blues, you know, the seasonal affective disorder and all that, and, you know, the sun goes away, but uh, it helps combat, you know, the cabin fever, you know, if you, it, it just, it's an opportunity to get outdoors and not be stuck inside all the time. And, and like you said, um, when it comes to trail running, I couldn't agree with you more because I often feel like I'm in a storybook or something when I'm out on the trails and there's freshly fallen snow or even in the, in the summertime where the green leaves are there and the birds are singing and you see the wildlife. It, it really is a magical time and mm -hmm. it really is, you know, cathartic in a way to be out there and just running and lose yourself in that and kind of be able to forget a lot of your problems and everything. Or, or even at times I find that, you know, my mind just kind of goes off on its own and I'm just in the background, I'm running, I'm watching where my feet are going, but you know, somewhere in my mind, it's working out all the issues that are bothering me, kind of almost like an automatic thing. It's, it's mm -hmm. really interesting. It's I, I can't describe it any better than that, but yeah, I, I definitely hear what you're saying and I relate to it for sure. And I'm sure everybody who's listening to this can relate to that on some level as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was exactly my next point. You know, it, it helps us the problem solve or if we just want to space out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, running it, you know, especially trail running, we can work to be more aware, aware of what's going on, mindfulness on the trail, um, mindfulness of how our body is responding, which, you know, if you think about it, when we're practicing this mindfulness and awareness piece out, you know, on the trail, our our brain is actually picking it up and it's going to be applied to other areas of life as well. So when we practice, um, you know, being mindful and more aware, then we're also helping to reduce anxiety and we're strengthening our mind at the same time. Awesome. Can you, can you think of any kind of examples or instances outside of running where where that that mindfulness or that heightened awareness can kind of come into play like in, in a situation that might cause somebody anxiety mm -hmm. yeah um so say if you're driving a vehicle and you're on the highway so you're going pretty fast and um you know somebody almost hits you okay. and we, we have that panic and um you're probably you know feeling maybe even multiple other feelings, um, anxious, uh, like I said, panic, um, I can even hear, I can even hear a few F-bombs being dropped at that point. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. So many F-bombs, <laughs> fingers, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like anger, road rage. So, um, really just being able to calm yourself down from that. If if you can use, well, what's called, it's called cognitive reframing. Okay. And that helps you. Um, so usually if you're on the road and you're panicking and, um, you know, something like that happens, we have like what's called cognitive distortions. And you think to yourself like, oh my God, I almost just died. You know, you can take something negative like that, like a negative thought, um, you know, negative thought, negative emotion and change it into something positive. So you would reframe it to, you know, I was, yeah, I was almost hit, but 
um, I'm a good driver and I, you know, I avoided the accident. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, you're retraining your brain to put it in another term and, you know, you Mm kind of, when you're on the trail, I guess you're training your body, but you're also training your brain as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll share this story with you real quick because I had, I had a very similar experience when I was young. So I'm in my 18th year as a paramedic and I kind of got into this profession. Um, I've been involved in it since I was 18 years old, actually. Um, when I was in high school, I did a co-op. So my last semester of school was, was riding out with an, with an ambulance or a paramedic crew. And I really didn't know nothing about the profession, right? Like my thought process, as, process at that time was I kind of liked biology. I wanted to be a physiotherapist, but I didn't want to work in an office all day or be inside. I want to be outdoors and kind of be out in the road. So I thought, oh, I'll be a truck driver. And I thought, you know, do long haul, drive down to like Texas or Florida, California from where I am and, and be out in the open road. And I thought, well, for myself, I know I'd, I'd kind of get bored with that too, as much as I love kind of being out in the road. And at that time, an ambulance drove by and I saw the two paramedics up front and it's like this light bulb went off. I'm like, that's perfect. The best of both worlds. Anyways, um, I, I definitely recall this one call we did um, it was my first exposure to like a traumatic car accident. And there were three occupants in this vehicle. And these guys are a couple of years older than I was. And they had got T-boned by a dump truck. And one was dead on the scene. And then two were really um, in bad shape. And they ended up having to get airlifted from the hospital that we transported them to. But, you know, I'm, I'm in the emergency room and watching chest tubes get put in and and CPR and all this chaos. It was my first time to be exposed to that. And I found that for a two week period after that happened, it didn't happen right away, but um, I would start to have like panic attacks while driving. I'd, I'd have to pull over the side of the road and, and, you know, typical physical panic attack where you're kind of hyperventilating and you, this feeling of doom. And, and, you know, I wasn't running at the time or anything like that. I was 18, barely 19 years old. And, and then I, I finally came to terms with it. And I said, you know what, like, like you said, I'm a good driver. I haven't been in any accidents. And if something like that's going to happen to me, it's completely out of my control. So I can carry on worrying about this and letting it, you know, do this to me and affect me physically, or I can just drive. And if something happens, I have to accept that it's going to happen. It's it's completely out of my control. So that was my thought process at the time. I remember it like it was yesterday. And after I kind of had that conversation with myself on the side of the road, I was fine and didn't have any more panic attacks or anything. But yeah, it was uh, it was it was quite the experience. Something I carry with me to this day. So yeah, yeah. Um, I hear stories like that all of the time. It's you know kind of crazy how something like that happens. And it it just sticks with our, like our bodies, you know? Um, And what comes to mind as, um, you know, you said something, you know, it would be out of your control, but you would just deal with it when, whenever it happens, like that's a very good mindset to have. And let me just add that, um, you know, everybody should acknowledge their strengths and their abilities. Like think of all of the problems and issues that we've overcome in the past and just know that, you know, whenever we encounter another, um, you know, obstacle that we're going to be able to draw that from within ourselves again and apply it to the new 
the new thing that we're facing. Yeah, I agree. It's so important. I think I think it's important for people who kind of, you know, deal with anxiety on on a daily level or even depression or anything, you know, if if they're trying to deal with it on their own and they're they're taking all the right steps like they're exercising, they're eating right, they're trying to get enough sleep, but they still can't for whatever reason kick whatever's bothering them, kick the depression or feel happy or or you know, stop having panic attacks, what have you. Um it's so important to reach out to somebody like you who's a professional and and can teach them and guide them different techniques, different strategies. And I know for myself, like, I don't only like to know like what to do. I like to know why I'm doing it. So with, with you, you have that ability to kind of explain things on the physiologic level, like on biology, biology level that really connects with me. And I'm sure it would connect with a lot of other people too, because it gives you a bit of a deeper understanding, like, okay, there's, there's more to this, right? It's, it's, it's not just me. There's, there's chemicals involved, there's anatomy involved and all this other stuff and processes. So, you know, if, if anybody's listening to this now, like, and, and you are trying all the things and, you know, it's not working reach out to somebody like Shannon and, and try to get some coaching that way as well, for sure. Eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's so much more helpful to actually know what's going on and, a lot of people blame themselves for their mental health problems when there's really n- nothing to blame yourself about. You know, um, it's just something that happens to people and there's there's nothing to be ashamed about. Yeah, I agree. It's, you know, it, it is a very human condition. And, you know, I especially think in this day and age, a lot has been done to kind of overcome stigma with mental health and all that. And, you know, it's looked now more as, as a regular health problem, just like, you know, having a high blood pressure, having high cholesterol or whatever, right? Like you struggle with some anxiety or, or mood disorders or whatever. Um, it's, it's not something somebody chooses. Um, but I think that, you know, there is an opportunity for people to choose what they're going to do with that, right? It's like, you know, I'll equate somebody to having high blood pressure. You know, if they go to their doctor, they get a prescription and they take the prescription, their high blood pressure is gone. And then they, and then like, you know, I often come across patients and, you know, do you have high blood pressure? They're like, no. And then I see the high blood pressure medication. I'm like, well, you do, but you're taking your medication. So yeah, technically you don't, but you're medicated for it. Whereas there are other people I come across, they don't take their medication on compliant. And it's almost like that with mental health too. Like, you know, if you're going to therapy and you're either prescribed medications or, or, you know, given exercises to, to complete or anything like that, if you stick with it, it's just like you're taking your medication, listen to your doctor. And if you're non-compliant, you're not going to get better. Right. Mm-hmm. So there is definitely some responsibility there at, at that aspect, but it's not like somebody chooses to be depressed or chooses to have anxiety, but there is a choice I think there with, with wanting to get better or actually like, you know, following through with the treatments. I think there is some responsibility on us there for sure. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Um, I, I think that a lot of people don't realize how much work um, going to therapy is. Mm-hmm. So I know myself and I'm sure every other counselor out there assigns homework every week. And I tell people, listen, you know, we're going to try, you know, these this, you know, number of things for this long and for this reason. And um, 
you know, it's up to you at home to put in the work and give me the feedback so that I can, you know, help you and point out things to you to help you. So yeah, a lot of work. And I also tell people bring a notebook, you know, every session have a notebook, you know, so you can take, take down what I'm saying. And, um, also like a journal for at home so that they can remember things that they need to remember, like recall thoughts or feelings. Yeah, it's uh, it is work on that on on the individual's part, on the patient's part as well. And do you find that people struggle to follow through with the work that you give them? Or is there a lot of, you know, compliance with that? There's a lot of compliance. Um, people are very acceptant, um, accepting of you know, the amount of work that goes into it. And yes, sometimes they forget to do it. And sometimes life happens and they're just really busy. And, you know, I tell them it's okay. You know, we can, we can do that this week. Sure. So you're flexible with it and stuff. I think, I think that's important and it brings up a, a, a good point, you know, is, is to give yourself grace when you do fall or you forget something you didn't, um, you know, meet, the targets that you were looking for that week. And and that kind of circles back to running. Whereas, you know, you didn't meet the time cut off or you couldn't complete the distance because, you know, you just kind of fell apart, whether it's mentally or physically, like you got to give yourself some grace and say, it's okay. Sure. You might feel down a little bit, but you pick yourself back up and, and you start, start again, maybe take a few days to recover and, and then you get back at it. And, you know, it's, it's another great example of how, you know, ultra running or running can, can relate to, to the mental health aspect or, you know, so it goes hand in hand for certain. Yeah. Yeah. I really like all of the overlap. Yeah. It's, 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 it certainly is uh, quite evident when we're talking about it for sure. Um, let me ask you this. Do you ever come across clients that are runners? Do you talk about running with them or physical activity? Um, or have you had people start running because they come to see you? Um, so, yeah, I have people um, who like to run um, or, you know, who have ran in the past and they want to get back into it because, you know, they they know the benefits of it as well. Um, and I I do talk with people about running and the importance of exercise. Um, I do not, what I don't bring up is my ultra running Okay. because that's just like way too, well, one, it's personal, but two, it's also kind of like puts pressure on them and they don't need to know that, you know? Fair. Do you, do you think it's like the kind of pressure where they're, they're taking out that measuring stick and measuring themselves against your accomplishments and stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So- it's not helpful. And then they would probably sit and wonder, like they would think maybe I'm being judgmental of them. If they're sitting there telling me that, you know, their time at whatever distance improved by like whatever, um, or maybe they missed a run or something and they would probably worry that I was being judgmental of them. Yeah. I think, you know, that's a great opportunity to remind them because I always say this to to people who are running, you know, um, it doesn't matter what other people are doing, like, especially for me. And I think for, for most people, like, unless you're an elite level athlete, 
it's all about you against you, right? It, you got to start where you're at and, and go within your capabilities. I would love to be able to run, you know, a sub 20 minute 5k. Am I ever going to get there? Probably not. Right. But I realize like that's where I'm at and that's okay. You know what I mean? And I, I can certainly have those goals and try, um, you know, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but you know, you have to be realistic with yourself and be okay with where you're at. And as long as you know, like I get out there and I work hard every time I go running and, you know, I enjoy it. And now with my dog Piper, it, it really has, given such a more wonderful dynamic that now I don't even care about my times. So I'm just having fun with her out there. And it's such a great time in my running life uh, and my life in general with her. But yeah, you know, it's, there's no point in comparing yourself to somebody else because you haven't been through their shoes. Um, you don't necessarily have their biological gifts that they may have or have the training they have too. So it, it's so important to realize that, you know, it's, it's not about who's beside you or in front of you or behind you. It's about, you know, who you are at that mm -hmm. point. And if you want to get better, then you got to work harder, right? Things don't mm -hmm. come for hoping and wishing. You got to, you got to put in the work and, and be persistent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, you know, that also makes me think of meaning, like we get a lot of meaning from running and other things that we do. And, you know, thinking about mental health, happiness comes from meaning. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, that's where, um, if you've ever heard of Viktor Frankl, um, he wrote a book. Uh, let me pull it out here. Let's see. Sure. Man's Search for Meaning. Okay. Yeah, Man's Search for Meaning. And so he was a psychologist or a psychiatrist, you know, kept in the Nazi death camps. Oh, wow. He, um, he survived and he wrote a ton of books. Um, and, you know, one of them was Man's Search for Meaning. And what he found was the people who survived the Holocaust were the people who had the most meaning. And the most they had the most drive to survive. They created their own happiness. Yeah, you know what, that is such a profound um, concept. Because, you know, a lot of people say, you know, if you don't have a lot of money, you kind of want to have money because you think it's going to bring you happiness. Or, you know, if you're in the other end of the spectrum, where you have a lot of money, you may say, you know what, it doesn't bring happiness, because you know, and, and that concept of just kind of finding meaning regardless of your circumstances will bring you contentment. I think and being content will bring you happiness. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, you know, again, there's nothing wrong with having goals and having things that are things that you want that might be on the materialistic level, but you can't put all your eggs into that one basket because it, it, it may not come to fruition, right. Or you might, you know, lose a job or, or have some sort of catastrophic injury where you can't work and then you find your living conditions aren't necessarily what they want to be. And I know I'm focusing on living conditions right now, but I mean, you know, living in a Holocaust and those circumstances and surviving that and to still be able to find a meaning through that and, and find your way out of that and to survive that it, it really is, um, something i don't i don't know if you can teach that or not to somebody but it's something you really have to search within 
to find that mindset. Like, you know what? I'm happy regardless. I don't need things to make me happy. It's, it's about, I think most first and foremost is, is relationships with people and, and creating bonds with family, with friends and, and meaningful bonds, not just, you know, Oh, I know this person, we're nice, whatever, but you know, like, like having bonds with, with ones that you love. And I mean, for me too, even like I'm such a dog person, but the bond I've created with my dog through running is so strong. And then to say that she doesn't give me a boost with my mental health and my well-being would be a lie because she's totally like, she brings me up all the time. And, and, uh, I hope I do the same for her, right? There's that one saying, I hope I can, I can be the person my dog thinks I am. Right. So, but yeah, I, I, such a profound concept. I'm going to have to look up that book and read it because it sounds really interesting. And you know what, it really puts things in perspective, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, looking at what we have and being content with, you know, where we're at and the whole process um, of just, you know, life in general, like enjoying the journey. Mm -hmm. And you you can also, you know, say, yeah, we have running goals and things that were like really big dreams that we're chasing after. But really, it's just about enjoying the process of getting there. Absolutely. And and for me, it's like on our family trips down to Florida, we drive. I'm going to have to ask you to pronounce the, the your town again. Zelianopal. Zelianopal. I got to remember that. So like, for me, driving down to Florida and passing places like Zelianopal, is so much fun. Like for me, that's like the best part of the vacation. And even on the way back, you're kind of leaving, you know, the sunshine state and it's like, Oh, I got to go back to cold Canada. Cause we usually do this in the fall, but um, you know, the journey softens the blow and I really enjoy the journey. Of course we have a great time when we get there and, and we make memories, but, but the journey is just a big bonus and I really love it as well. So yeah, absolutely. It's, it's not, you know, I, was once at the at a men's um, conference, and uh, they were talking about the dash on your tombstone. The year you were born, you have the dash, and then the year you die. It's like, what does your dash say? It's those two end points don't really mean anything. It's what's in that dash. What does that dash have to say? And it was, you know, again, one of those things where it really kind of made you think and contemplate the direction you're traveling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah, it really was. So I was like, you know, my dash. It was all about the dash. <laughs> <laughs> all about the dash. Yeah. So do you do you have any other thoughts in your mind about you know how we can kind of um, use running to to help to help our mental states? Um. I mean, there. You know, something simple like boosting self love. Mm -hmm. So if you love running, if you love being outdoors and you're doing both, then you're loving yourself because you're allowing yourself to do something like that. Very well said. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, you know, um, the benefits of like pre um, preventing cognitive decline as we age you know, um, we can't cure Alzheimer's, but we can like boost up our brain, you know, boost up our hippocampus where our memories are stored and our learning occurs. Um, so, so running can actually benefit that and help that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, I didn't know that. I always thought like, you know, preventing dementia, Alzheimer's, you have to do crosswords and things like that and and word problems because, you know, I had a grandfather who uh, ended up with Alzheimer's and passed away uh, many years ago. And I was always worried, like, am I going to get Alzheimer's and be like that too? So I guess I'm helping myself with the running and I didn't know that. So that's great news. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's see, like uh, mental strength just in general. So um and I actually heard, I was watching one of Lazarus Lake's documentaries. I don't know. I don't remember if it was Biggs or um, a different one. But, you know, he talks about beating up your body. And a person's body can just take an enormous beating. But what it is, it's your mind that you have to be able to control, to convince, to be able to, you know, keep doing like that sort of thing. Because Mm -hmm. during during those backyard ultras, people run over 200 miles. Yeah. (laughs) It's just incredible. Yeah. And that's not easy. And that certainly takes a toll on the body. And at some point it does become a mental game. Right. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. so, it's so crazy. eh? Yeah. It's uh, I read something, I can't remember where I read it, but it was about, you know, pain tolerances and things like that. And, you know, we're, we're naturally, I guess, wired to kind of not want to have pain or endure pain, but they show that in athletes, um, they have higher pain tolerances and they're more willing to go through pain because they know that there will be a reward after it. Like if I train hard and I hurt now, I'll have a better chance at winning my event or whatever it is. Right. So it almost kind of rewires those, those things in our brain. We're like, okay, this is good pain rather than bad pain, but it helps them with their pain tolerances overall, which is quite interesting. Yeah. So that's um, dopamine, the award chemical. And, you know, that's the same thing. Um, you know, that shows up in addictions. Right. So a lot of people who are ultra runners um, are in recovery. You know, if you think about it, how many people do you, uh, you know, talk to when you're out on a trail and you find out all of their whys for being out there? Mm -hmm. Something's, you know, somewhat usually addicted related. Yeah, it's it's, it's true. There's commonality there. And I think you almost have to have some addictive personality qualities to be an ultra ultra runner because there's an obsession there. Like it's not something you just take up and it's easy to do. Like you have to be committed and you have to live it, breathe it and eat it really, you know, and, and it's, it's a good thing to have. And if there are people out there that are trading needles for ultra running or or alcohol for ultra running or what have you, it's a, it's a great trade-off in my books. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So Shannon, um, before, before we close off our conversation, cause we are kind of getting short on time here. Um, I know you're coming off the ankle injury and you're kind of rehabbing and, and getting stronger as each day passes, but do you have any upcoming races or goals ahead for this year and maybe into the next year? I do. Um, so the, you know, in April, um, that's Badwater 267 Elite Virtual Race. And um, 
So that's 267 miles in 16 days. Wow. And the 267 comes from the combined distances of Badwater Cape Fear, Badwater Salton Sea, and Badwater 135. It's the mother of all Badwaters. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it's so exciting. Um, and, um, you know, the race director, Chris Kostman, he is... Like this is going to be one of the coolest virtual races because you actually have to um, use Strava and everybody, you know, has a public account and um, that way you're kept truthful with the miles you're logging and it all has to be done outside and under a specific pace. Wonderful. So there's, there's some strict rules to this one. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. He says, if you want the belt buckle, you have to earn it. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> well, I wish you the best of luck with that one for sure. Yeah. Thanks. That'll be tough. So where can people follow your, your, uh, running journey and where can people find your, your wonderful articles that you write and everything? Let's uh, hit us up with it. And I'll make sure I put it in the show notes. Yeah. On Instagram, I'm be short run ultra. Okay. On Twitter, I'm Be Short. But I think you could might still be able to find me if you type in Be Short on Ultra. I don't okay. know. Um, and then, like you said, my blog is also Be Short Run Ultra. And my professional website, which has um, more mental health materials on it than my running one, that's finishstrongercounseling.com. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing that with us. So uh, that'll be a great resource for people out there who are listening who may be needing a little bit more than just their their own running. And there's no shame in, in needing an extra hand and trying to get better and healthy. Uh, Shannon, Mick, thank you so much for joining us here at Trail Tales ARP. I've had a great time talking with you. I'm going to leave you with our traditional saying here. I don't know if you've heard it before, but that is to run wild, my friend. Thanks, Sean. You too. <laughs>